Hi, this is Joel Morgan, the voice of Valley City State University in Valley City, North Dakota. I think it's safe to say that every broadcaster's goal is to be the best they can be at their craft. But just like anything else, if you don't have a game plan, it's hard to execute. Looking to set my goals for the upcoming season, I submitted my audio to the critique crew at SayTheDamnScore.com. Within a week, I got back a written critique which included areas of improvement, my strengths, and a fresh set of ideas to help improve my broadcast. With the help of the critique crew at SayTheDamnScore.com, I now have a game plan for improvement. So I suggest if you're looking to get better, step up your game and get a fresh set of ears on your play-by-play, visit SayTheDamnScore.com today. Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down You got the game on? Yep. On the move, down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He, he won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the gun. who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. You're listening to the original Say the Damn Score podcast, part of the Say the Damn Score podcast network. Here's your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome to episode 67 of the Say the Damn Score podcast. As you heard the big voice guy say, I'm Logan Anderson, a sportscaster currently in the process of moving from South Dakota to the Twin Cities. This podcast is dedicated to the sportscasting business and sharing career paths, stories, and advice from sportscasters at all levels from across the country. Right now, we are bringing on the competition. We are joined by Joel Godet. He is the voice of Ball State University and also hosts a similar podcast called the Play-By-Play Cast. And Joel, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. How are you? The podcast. There's no competition. We can listen to all of them. <laughs> that, it all that, depends on how much time you've got. It's very true. And uh, I like the word coopetition. I heard it on another podcast, actually. And uh, I've, I've been going with that. Just submit that to Merriam-Webster, see how that goes. <laughs> that might be the highlight of my life, getting a word in the dictionary. But <laughs> let's start off where I start off a lot of these chats is I always find it inter- interesting with the people that chose to go to Syracuse. And obviously everyone knows it's kind of the premier broadcast college in in America, and it's also... a uh, bit of a broadcast factory. So what was the decision that led you to attending Syracuse when you were in your developmental stages of your career? Oh, gosh. As you were preparing to ask that question, I was thinking that that was going to be the question. I don't know the answer. Um, I think, so I think it's twofold if I go back to, to high school, Joel. Um, number one is I just, when I was looking at colleges, uh, first off, it, you know, relatively speaking, it's fairly local to where I lived. Um, it was a four-hour drive, so it wasn't like outside a crazy radius for me. Um, so that made sense. And then I was just looking at like good broadcast schools, and I kind of narrowed it down. I had five schools that I really honed in on. They were all kind of within a four- or five-hour radius of where I lived in New Jersey. Um, so, you know, it was close. It was, it was good. I mean, it, it's got its reputation. And then when I first got into the idea of broadcasting and the idea of journalism – Uh, is when I was a, it was the summer going into my junior year of high school. I went to the Bruce Beck and Ian Eagle sports broadcasting camp. um, That's now run by Chris Carino and Tim Capstraw um, in Northern New Jersey. And that was kind of my first entree into broadcasting. And because Ian Eagle was one of the the guys who ran it um, and a guy that 
kind of I admired and looked up to um, that I liked getting to know in that, that time I was there. Uh, he was a Syracuse guy. Um, and David Sorodi, who helps run the camp still to this day, he was a Syracuse guy. Um, that kind of led me down that path as well. So I think some sort of confluence of all of those factors um, and then that they were silly enough to admit me uh, all led to me winding up in uh, central New York. You mentioned that you decided you wanted to go into broadcasting as a junior in high school. What led you to that decision? Uh, I, I think the camp. Like, I think that was it. Uh, you know, my mother will tell you that, and, and she's true on this, uh, that, you know, I used to sit in front of the TV and do play-by-play to Ken Griffey Jr. Slugfest, you know, when I was in seventh or eighth grade and ninth grade too. But I don't ever really think that it was something that I envisioned as a career until I went to that camp. Um, you know, my dad saw an ad in the newspaper for the Bruce Beck Iron Eagle Sports Broadcasting Camp. I went. Um, it was a week. Um, but, like, they just trot out in front of you, like, guest speakers that talk about what they do for a living. And, you know, Sam Rosen was telling me about what it's like to call Rangers games. And Chris Carlin was there. And I met Chris Carino for the first time there. And you, you just hear these people talk, and obviously I and Bruce, um, about what they do. And they showed us their charts. And they showed us tape. And they... And they took us on site visits. And like after a week, I'm like, okay, like this is the coolest thing ever. Um, so coming out of that, I, you know, I, I became the editor, the, the sports editor of my high school newspaper. And I started writing for the local county newspaper. And I started doing like tech work, which led to on-air work for the local public access channel. So it just kind of started this ball rolling of, of things late in my high school career. I wish I could tell you like I, I – listen to John Sterling while I was falling asleep while I was six years old. It's just like, I don't have that kind of fairy tale, how I became a broadcaster story. Were there any other people who eventually went on to become professional broadcasters who were at that camp that you're aware of? Yeah. Um, there were a bunch of them. Um, John Nolan is one of them. He's the voice of the Fort Wayne tin caps. Um, Scotty Braun from MLB network, uh, was at that camp. Um, there's a host of guys and I'm going to now forget all of their names and sound horrible. Um, but yeah, there've been a bunch of people that have come through that camp. Ed Cohen. I don't know if he ever went to that camp, but, uh, he might've, um, but he was a counselor at that camp long before he was now the voice of the New York Knicks. So, I mean, it's kind of, I mean, it's, it's going on like 15 years old now. So it's churned out its fair share of people. I want to get back to Syracuse a little bit. And we've talked about kind of the experience with, people who have been there a long time ago and gone on to do a lot of big things. You're a little bit more recent uh, as uh, part of the Syracuse Army, as I like to call them. And, uh, you know, what uh, What stands out about that education? And maybe it's hard to compare because you didn't go anywhere else. But, you know, what was it that made that education so advantageous? Um, you know, I, the student media is really the biggest part of it. Uh, I mean, obviously I think the education that people get at the school itself is fantastic and, and it stands on its reputation. Uh, but the, the way that the student media is run there, um, and the fact that it's all student run and, and we kind of work with each other and you're, you improve with each other and you critique each other and you're kind of left to your own devices. There's, there's nobody holding your hand while you're doing that stuff, um, really kind of brings the best out in you. And, you know, I, I understand the merits of uh, the people that go to college and they want to get on the air immediately. And it's like, hey, in my freshman year, I was calling all these games. And I think that's great. Um, and it works for a lot of people. 
And I mean, in fairness, to a degree, I mean, I, I called, I called a couple things as a freshman and, and dove right in. And I was, I was calling a lot of games as a sophomore. Um, but I think that the process that, you know, WAER in particular and WJPZ and, and Citrus TV go through, um, where they kind of groom you and, and you learn and you grow and you get better, uh, as you progress kind of through your college career really sets you up nicely. Um, so it turns out, I, I think a lot of talented people just through the way that, that it, it breeds them. Um, and then obviously, you know, there's the, there's the Syracuse army and kind of the network of us too. And there's a bunch of us out there and it's easy to drop a guy an email and say, Hey, I'm Joel. I went to Syracuse. Can I pick your brain? Can you listen to my stuff? Um, you know, there's a lot of us and we like to help people out in general. I think that's a general statement. Like we help each other out, but I, I think in, in general, uh, we all try to pay it forward, but when there's so many of you, it becomes easier to pay it forward for each other a little bit too. So, um, I think a, a bunch of those things all tie together to kind of make it what it is. What's your Jim Beheim story? Everybody that I've talked to has one of uh, a time where they oh, asked him a God. stupid question or something like that. Um, so my, well, I don't have a great Jim Beheim story. Um, I asked him, I asked him about Kentrell Gransberry and Arinze Onuwaku once when it was South Florida, Syracuse. And I was just curious, like the matchup of two really good big post players. And I didn't phrase the question well. And I, I got like a yes or no answer. Um, and it wasn't a yes or no question, um, but, it, but it did not go well for me. Uh, so that was great. I felt awesome about that at a press conference. Um, the more amusing story about Jim Beheim, and this kind of, you know, he gets this crusty exterior, but he handles a lot of his own interviews. So, you know, Pete Moore, who's the tremendous sports information director for Syracuse basketball, um, is awesome. But like a lot of times, if you want to talk to Jim, like you just, you contact him and, and he'll decide whether or not he wants to talk to you. Um, so I was doing a feature, I don't know, my sophomore year, I think of college, I was doing a radio feature for a pregame show. Uh, it was called a generic, so it could be about anything. It was literally a generic story. And I did it about Bob Hurley and the miracle of St. Anthony. Cause we had a kid on the team, uh, who went to St. Anthony. His name was Terrence Roberts. And, uh, I thought it'd be a cool story. I just read the book, wanted Jim Beheim to comment on Bob Hurley and what you get with players from that program. So I, I think I called him and left a voicemail with his secretary. And one day I'm literally in line at the cafeteria uh, for dinner. It's like six o'clock at night on like a Thursday. I don't know. Um, and I'm like, I, I, I remember what I was eating. Like I was spooning like uh, pesto ravioli into my to-go container and my phone rings and I didn't know the number and I answered it. And I was like, hello, who's this? And I go, is this Joel? Joel, this is Jim Beheim, which is my horrible impression. Uh, and I was like, oh, like, like shit yourself. You just answered your phone and it's Jim Beheim. And he's like, you know, I, you know, if you want an interview, I can give it to you now. And I was like, like, what am I going to do? I like, I'm not in a studio. I'm not near a studio. Holy, holy hell. Um, but you know, I said like, Hey, I'm getting dinner. Can I call you back in five minutes? And, and he said, yes. Uh, and I sprinted out of Shaw dining hall, ran across the street, got into the, uh, WAER studios. Luckily one was open, uh, called Jim Behan back and did the interview. So like he gets this crusty exterior, but, uh, you know, he, he called back an 18 year old who wanted an interview about something totally not pertinent to his season. And then, uh, agreed for me to call him back after I left the dining hall. Uh, so, um, I guess that's the best Jim Beheim story I can give you from a personal note. Professionally as a sportscaster, from what I can find, and correct me if I'm wrong, your your first professional job was with the Buffalo Bisons, and uh, I don't True. know if I'm saying that correctly <laughs> or whatever. It seems a little bit uh, 
Um, it's like oh, a what's Z. The word. The bisons. How did you come up with that position? And uh, just give us the story of what it was and how it came to be. Yeah, so that was a good job out of college. Um, I got really lucky there. Um, you know, I was playing a bunch of minor league baseball jobs, and uh, you know, Ben Wagner, who's now the voice of the Blue Jays, uh, needed a number three, basically. Um, yeah, you know, he needed somebody. Duke McGuire, who's been a longtime color analyst there, uh, has a job that he can't travel uh, until the end of the, you know, the high school or the, the you know, the middle school, the, the, the academic school year. Um, so Ben needed somebody to go on the road with him and do a handful of games, you know, April and May, uh, beginning of June. And then he needed somebody to do, um, you know, the lead radio broadcasting when Ben moved to television. So I wound up with about 70 games probably that summer uh, doing AAA baseball, which was just like stupid and I was not qualified for, uh, but it was awesome. And, um, you know, I, I just like sent my tape and, and got really lucky. I think they were looking for somebody that was young. I mean, it paid 800 bucks plus an apartment that I didn't live in. That's another story because I'll, I'll say this much. The apartment took three keys to get into. You needed a key to get into the building, a key to get onto the floor and a key to get into the apartment. Uh, so it didn't have a great security vibe to it, <laughs> but, uh, but, um, but that was kind of the, the payment for the thing. So they were looking for somebody young and, and kind of coming up and I kind of found in, in myself in the right place at the right time. And uh, I'm pretty sure Matt Park, uh, you know, went to bat for me too. Uh, voice of the orange at the time still is. Um, and, uh, and was, and was lucky enough to, to be able to do some triple a ball right out of, uh, right out of college. I want to go back to that apartment. So <laughs> you, they gave you an apartment and you didn't live there. I, explain I did where you did live <laughs> and give us a little bit more details about why you didn't live there. Uh, well, so I lived, I lived after that. Um, like I moved my stuff and I was like, this is not gonna, this is not gonna work. I was like, this place is, I, I didn't, I didn't feel real great in there. Um, <laughs> so I, I called Ben. I was like, Hey Ben, uh, what do I do? So actually I wound up living with Ben for like three weeks. Um, and he was great. And his wife, Megan was great. And their dog, Sammy. And then eventually it got to the point where they were like, uh, you know, Joel, this is great, but like, you can't, you can't live on the sofa in the basement eating fondue out of the fondue pot. Uh, so, um, I just found another apartment in suburban Buffalo that was inexpensive. Um, and basically used my salary to rent that apartment and kind of, uh, called it a net zero for the summer. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was my, my first professional living situation. Well, at least when you start there, there's nowhere to go but up. So. Well, and the good thing too is that, because remember this is AAA, and I was going on the road at the beginning of the season. So I was getting, I was getting pretty good, decent meal money. Um, so like, you know, I, I still had a little bit of change in my pocket because I would save that up. I wouldn't necessarily spend it all on the road. So that helped too. Could you eat at like the training table? Do they have that in AAA? I don't even know. I mean, they do, but like, you, what's good is in AAA, like the press boxes feed you really well. So, like, all you needed money for was lunch, and I can eat lunch for like six bucks. So, you know, pocket the other whatever I don't know, twenty-one for the day, um, and that adds up. <laughs> Did you have to have any like side jobs or anything at that time? Yeah. Uh, so I actually, God, I don't know if I was doing it then. I think I was. Um, Gosh, I don't even remember. So there was so for a couple of years when I first got out of college, 
um, I was still the morning sports anchor for WSYR radio in Syracuse. I had worked at WSYR when I was in college um, as a host, anchor, reporter, whatever. Um, And then when I graduated, they needed somebody to do morning sports. So I still did the morning sports for WSYR from wherever I was, like be it Tampa, Florida, or on the road with whatever. Uh, so, and what's, what was tough is that like you had to, I either had to wake up early and do it so I could record it and send it in, or I had to stay up late and record it to send it in. Um, so like there were times like, Hey, Yankees are on the West coast. I needed to wait until their scores were final just so I could say the Yankees won or lost. Um, and, uh, I would be up until like 2am before I would record these updates. Um, so that was kind of my side pocket money early in my career. Um, which was not a lot of sleep. Sometimes I would fall asleep and then I would get a phone call at like 4 a.m. from the producer panicked. He's like, oh my God, I don't have sports yet. So I'd quickly uh, have to turn those around. My, uh, that was my side money early in my career. Oof, duh. That's, uh, that's something they say <laughs> here. I don't know if they say that anywhere else, but they say that in South Dakota <laughs> and Minnesota. But uh, I, I think you could come up with the meaning just from uh, the context. But. <laughs> Just give us the Cliff Notes version of what you did between your time in Buffalo before you got to Fairleigh Dickinson. So from Buffalo, and this is where, like, they say no path is replicable. Uh, My path is not replicable. Uh, I was in Buffalo. Ben Wagner knew a guy that he used to work with named Dave Friedman, uh, who's now the voice at Winthrop, who knew a guy who was now at the University of South Florida and University of South Florida needed a women's basketball and baseball broadcaster uh, plus multimedia guy. So through a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy who knew my boss, I got connected with USF, uh, wound up at USF, was there for a year. Um, Also, they gave me a place to live that I did live in. That was cool. Um, (laughs) But uh, was there for a year, wanted to get back into minor league baseball. And I'm living in Florida, so I was like, you know what, there's a lot of Florida State League teams. Florida State League teams now do, but really at the time, this is 2010, uh, didn't broadcast games. I think there were like three that did. So I sent a proposal. Like I wrote up a proposal. I like gave them a cost-benefit analysis. I told them how much it would cost um, for all the Florida State League teams to start a broadcast. Um, and the Bradenton Marauders bit. And, like, and this is where it's just like dumb luck. Bradenton Marauders were a brand new baseball team. They had been founded in like October, at which point they get deluged with emails about people wanting to be their broadcaster. I had sent this email in like February. And at that point in time, they had forgotten about a broadcast. And like the day before I'd sent my email, the people in Pittsburgh, because they owned the Marauders, basically said, hey, I thought we were going to broadcast games. Where are we on that? And the next day my email popped up. Um, so they were like, Oh, here's a guy. He seems credible. He's put through the effort to draw this proposal up, uh, him. Uh, so I wound up as the, the voice of the Bradenton Marauders. So I left USF, did that, um, for two years. And then, uh, in the first off season, uh, uh, I don't know what I did in the first off season after Bradenton. If I'm really thinking about it, I honestly can't tell you. Um, but the second off season after Bradenton, uh, I, I wanted to get involved and do something um, back home in Philadelphia because, you know, that's where my family was. That's where I could live in the off season when I wasn't making money. And I literally emailed, I think I sent like 30 to 40 emails out every college in the, you know, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, New York area. 
division one, two, three, like not like don't have athletics, like whatever. I sent emails to everyone and I said, I'm Joel. This is what I do. Uh, I just want to work for you. I don't care. I'll do it for free. And um, three, I think got back to me. LaSalle was one of them. I don't remember what the other one was. And then Fairley Dickinson got back to me. And FDU is basically like, hey, we just got all this equipment and we don't have anybody that really knows how to use it. So if you want to come up and do some video features uh, for free, um, like, you know, sure. So I, I went up to FDU, which was about an hour and a half drive from my parents' house in you know, north suburban Philly and was doing video features for them until uh, they looked at me one day and said, hey, you know, we got a newly designed website. And now we can stream all of our games online because remember, Fairleigh Dickinson is in Metro New York. So for them to be on the radio is expensive. Um, so they had like three basketball games on. Like it wasn't a huge package. Well, now they were going to broadcast all their games. They needed somebody to do it. So all of a sudden, I'm the voice of a Division One men's and women's basketball team. So like it's just this ridiculous domino effect of um, me having been persistent, me sending out a ton of emails and having done it at the stupidly right time. Um, and then just, you know, working hard and putting yourself in the right spot. But um, yeah, I don't know if I try to do it again, if I can make it happen just the same way. You know, I want to go back again to maybe one of the more unusual trends that I've seen. Two places, two free apartments, not staying in it. What was wrong with the second one? <laughs> no, no, I, st- I stayed in the second one. Oh, I thought you said you didn't. No, I did stay in the second one. We had We had an infestation of roaches in the second one, but I think that was more because we lived in Florida. Um, but I became very good at stamping out cockroaches that year. Um, but other than that, it was a nice apartment. My first apartment was infested with crickets, and we it just oh, took a, it took awful. one bug bomb, and I mean there were dead crickets <laughs> everywhere for several months. But that you would just find that you hadn't cleaned up in the process. You're like, oh, I turned over that book. There's a dead cricket. But anyway, <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to follow up on was. By the time this is released, so I could I could make this, I could talk about this in the podcast. By the time this is released, we're recording it on April 5th. Um, I've made the decision to just move to a major market. It's probably going to be Denver or Minneapolis. And one of the things that okay. I'm about to start doing is randomly just spraying emails at all the colleges in those areas as soon as we decide where my wife can get a teaching job and where we're going to go. What did you put yeah. in those emails to get their attention? Did you go after SIDs, associate ADs? What was your strategy? Uh, both. Um, yeah, I mean, it was literally just, I, I tried to cover as broad a swath as I could um, and tried to do anything I could. You know, it was basically, I mean, it was literally, my name's Joel. This is currently what I'm doing. This is what I'm looking for. Like, and this is probably where it won't help you, but like, I was like, I will do it for free. Um, because in the, you know, the, the FDU one, I was just more so looking for something to do, uh, in between baseball seasons. Like I knew I had a couple of months and I needed something to do. Uh, and that's how it started. I mean, it literally started as me doing something for free. Um, but you know, I was just trying to get somebody to answer something and hopefully that would lead to, you know, something else. Um, the, the Bradenton Marauders one was a little different because I was, you know, I, I had a proposal, like I literally put together an entire proposal about why this team should have a broadcast because I was dealing with teams that for the most part did not. Um, and it was like three pages long and it, I don't even remember what was in it, but 
um, you know, I've, I've put a lot of effort and work into trying to make it seem like a broadcast for minor league baseball teams that don't have big attendance and that make all their money in spring training, uh, why they should have a broadcast. Uh, so that was kind of the, the crux of what was in those emails. And I, I mean, I just got lucky. I feel like too, it was as, as crummy an answer as that is. I, I mean, part of it was the effort that was put into it. And then part of it was right place, right time. So from there, you went to Myrtle Beach, the uh, spring break destination that is, a place where I wish it was because there's a foot of snow on the ground on April 5th. But uh, (laughs) Take us through the break that got you there and what your experience was like there. Um, You know, Myrtle Beach, so when I was in college, I was the uh, number two for Jason Benetti, um, now voice of the White Sox, um, when he was with the Salem Avalanche. They were a uh, high-A affiliate of the Houston Astros in the Carolina League. Um, that's a good story, too, by the way, if you want to get back to that, because that might be some of the best stuff. Um, but uh, um, in the league was Myrtle Beach. And, you know, I got to go on the road when I was in Salem, so I got to go to Myrtle Beach and call some games. And, like, the Pelicans do now and have always done just a phenomenal job. Like, it's just if – you, if you love minor league baseball, like, go watch a game at Myrtle because it's sick. Um, so, you know, I kind of told myself, it was like, if this job ever comes open, this is a job I want. And, uh, I got lucky enough that the job came open and, you know, I wanted, you know, at that time I was planning on going back to Bradenton, but I wanted a different challenge. You know, I wanted to call games where, um, a, I was on the radio. Uh, I don't know if I thought I was going to be on the radio again, the second year in Bradenton, we were the first year or the, the third year in Bradenton, we were the second year. Um, I wanted to do games in front of a, a larger crowd. Um, I mean, there were, li- there were literally times in, in Bradenton where I remember one point in time, our closer came on the bus and said, Joel, like, you know, I, I think you're really good at your job, but it's really annoying when I can hear you from the mound. Um, and like, I'm in a minor league baseball stadium, not sitting behind the backstop. Uh, there just, there, there weren't a ton of people that went to a lot of those games in Florida. Um, so, and I, I knew like going to Myrtle beach, like it's, it's awesome. The environment's great. Um, and I just liked the aspects of the job. There was other stuff involved. I, it, it was, it was always a very attractive job. Um, so I applied and, uh, you know, I knew John laser, uh, who had had the job, I think twice removed. Um, and he still knew some people there. So I talked to John about it and, you know, he thought it was, you know, something worth pursuing. And, um, I, I applied and, and got lucky enough to get an interview and then get that job. And, you know, I'm forever grateful because that was, you know, for a 24 year old, that was a dream job at 24 and, and I was able to get it. So, uh, it was great. It was one of the most fun summers I've ever had. And, uh, and I wouldn't trade that one for the world. Tell us the story that you said would be a good story and we should come back to. <laughs> um, so here's the best way to, here's the best, worst way to get a job ever. Uh, when I was in college, uh, uh, Jason Benetti was looking for interns to be his number two with the Salem Avalanche. And he had reached out, you know, you had asked about Syracuse. He had reached out to WAER and was like, hey, uh, if there are any, any guys that work in my former college radio station that want, uh, you know, have interest in being a number two, let me, you know, let me know. So our sports director had sent an email saying, let me know and I will let Jason know. But I was like, heck with that. I don't want people to know on this. Like, I'm going to be clandestine and stuff. Uh, so uh, I found Jason Benny on, on, on the Facebook, uh, like the early stages of the Facebook at this point, uh, and did not know him. Uh, but I sent him a message, and I was like, hey, Jason, I'm Joel. I'd like to be your number two. And uh, that actually wound up working. 
<laughs> but but I got admonished for going around the the setup system. But uh, Jason will still give me crap for that because I technically applied for a job via a Facebook message, um, which is another horrible way to accidentally wind up employed. But again, this is where like my path is not replicable. But uh, yeah, that happened. <laughs> so you were on Facebook when it still had the the. Oh yeah, oh yeah. This was the early, the early going. You still needed a college email. Yeah, we got it my junior year in college, which would have been, I think, it started getting to the small schools. It would have been like 2007, but maybe yeah. 2006. I don't know. But how has your social media <laughs> use changed from your time then, when there was still a the on Facebook, into what you do now? Uh, I use it. Um... I'm, I'm, I'm not a big social media person. Um, like I didn't really, I, I just, it's, I, I don't love it. Um, it makes people angry. Uh, there's a lot of bad stuff on there that just like will make you hate life, uh, reading cause you're like, what is going on? Um, but at the same time, it's a good news source. So, you know, I scroll through there and click articles and all that stuff. I, you know, I don't, I'm not one of those people that goes crazy tweeting stuff about games that I'm doing. Um, yeah, it's just, it's not, you know, I, I don't know. It's like, I did the game prep and I'll use it on the air if I use it. If I, if I don't use it, then I don't use it, but I don't necessarily have to tweet it at you. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, but um, I should probably use it more than I do, um, but I don't. It's more just kind of a stream of consciousness of my thoughts, which is, uh, you know, if you, if you'd like to know what I think about life, then it's there for you. But otherwise that, yeah. I'm not a great social media ambassador. You know, I follow you on Twitter, obviously, and you occasionally will delve into uh, political subjects. And I know that that's one sure. thing that I decided to stay away from a while ago when I figured out that those arguments were just unwinnable. Uh, do you ever get any pushback from your employer or from anybody in the industry about putting stuff on one side or the other? Um, one time, I just got a, like, hey, you know, it's cool, but less is more. Um, and But other than, that, other than that, no. And I mean, I don't, I try not to be like, I'm not going to go out there and be like a firebrand on there. Like a lot of times, for the most part, it's stuff that like relates to me or like, you know, I, you know, I, it's, you know, I, I like this, to this day the most popular tweet I ever had was like during the the attempted appeal of of Obamacare last year, um, and I I tweeted my personal story like like I think like the Indiana Republican Party had tweeted something. This is getting like way down the rabbit hole, but it tweeted something about like tell us your stories about why it doesn't work for you. And I replied with why it did work for me, um, and like I was I was denied health coverage. Um, when I aged out of my parents' plan, the very first time I tried to apply for coverage because I have a pre-existing condition. So, like for me, that matters. So, like I used that as a as like I got like three thousand retweets, and I was like, you know what, fine. Like that's my story and it's my truth. Um, you know, I'm not being incendiary towards anybody with that. I'm just saying, like, listen, you asked for examples of why this doesn't work. Here's what's going to happen. Like if you do what you want to do, because you're going to take healthcare coverage away from people like me. Um, or I'm, I, I got denied. Like it wasn't, it's not an issue of how much I'd have to pay. 
Um, so when it's stuff that like directly relates to how it impacts me, um, yeah, sometimes I, I get a little bit more active on there. Um, and you know, for the most part, as time has gone on too, I've, I've cut down on how much stuff I've done, but that's kind of the, the, the avenue I've gone with that stuff. And we'll come back out of the rabbit hole now, and uh, we'll talk about how back back to we'll stick to sports casting, as they say. Um, what was your break that eventually got you to where you're at now at Ball State? Um, so this is again a story of how, like, you can't replicate anybody's career path. Um, my general manager, my first year as the voice of the Bradenton Mar- uh, Marauders. Now, mind you, I got this job because I sent a random email and I was in the right place at the right time. My boss there was named Dan Wolfert. Um, He was our GM and his brother, Matt Wolfert, um, was the associate AD at Ball State. And, um, you know, Dan and and Matt and their families are are really good family friends of mine now, um, still to this day. Um, And, you know, a couple of years went by and I stayed in touch with Dan and with Matt and um, when Maury Manny's retired, I reached out to, to Matt, who was still working at Ball State, and said, hey, Matt, like, I'd have some interest. Um, you know, tell me what I need to do here and sent him, you know, my tape. Um, and at the time, you know, got lucky that Bill Scholl was our athletic director at Ball State. Um, and, you know, he, he was looking for, for something that I fit the description of. And uh, for whatever reason, I, I, I fell into that basket and got an interview and um, was lucky enough to get the job. So again, it's, it's weird connections of having known somebody and developed a relationship and wound up in a spot where for whatever reason I fit the bill of what somebody was looking for. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'll, you know, I, I can't be more thankful for, you know, that opportunity and the, the chance that, that, you know, Bill took on me and even Matt took on me. Um, because, you know, I, I didn't know much about Ball State when I got here. Um, I'd never been to Ball State. Um, you know, I knew they went undefeated in the regular season in 2008. But beyond that, uh, it was new to me. So I, I had to do a lot of learning. And, uh, and I think it takes a lot of, uh, you know, administrative courage and administrative credit uh, to hire somebody like that for a job like the one I have, too. And, uh, you know, hopefully since I've been here, I've done the best I can to you know, live up to, to people's expectations and, and to, to do right by, you know, the, the school and the athletic teams and the university and the brand. Um, but that's all that, that comes with, you know, time, energy, learning, and, and investing yourself in, in where you are. So being an East Coast guy, you before that point had never left the East Coast for, I, I'm guessing, any extended period. And I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, but moving to Indiana, having been... Yeah, basically an East Coast guy. What was the biggest adjustment with that? Um, you know, you'd be surprised. Uh, it's it's not that bad um, compared to like what I grew up with. Um, it's kind of similar in some ways. Um, you know, granted, I grew up outside New York City um, and Philadelphia, but uh, you know, I, I live on the outskirts of Indianapolis right now. And I live in a community that is growing and um, was a lot of farmland and is now very brand new development. We just got an Ikea. Um, But it's like, you know, I grew up in New Jersey in an area that was farmland and was very newly developed and people were moving out to it and it turned into a bedroom community. 
And uh, I think from that standpoint, like my surroundings now are very familiar to my surroundings growing up. Um, so the fact that I live in Indiana, uh, I don't really think about it that way. You know, I, I think the community that I live in is very similar to the community that I was familiar with. And then if I want to go into a city, like I'm going there as soon as we get off the phone, like it takes me 20 minutes to get to downtown. Um, if I want to go to a crazy big city, it takes me three hours to get to Chicago. Um, so like, am I further from my family than I'm used to? Like, I guess, but I was further away in Florida. I'm technically closer in Indiana. So it's really not that, that bad or different. You know, I, I think it, it catches people off guard initially, but for the most part, you know, it, it is what it is. So there's a video of you out there running one tens. And yes. I, I watched that and I don't know if I, I think I would have a heart attack after about one of them. <laughs> But uh, what was the what crazy idea led you to doing the football conditioning drills uh, with the Ball State trainer? I have really stupid ideas, um, <laughs> and that was one of them. Um, you know, I just you know, I, I, part of my job here is also to create video online, um, and I try to get creative in what I do. Um, you know, we just put out an April Fool's video this week that, that went bananas. That was really cool and fun and different. And uh, I thought, you know, subjecting myself to this conditioning test that we always video the athletes doing, I think would be interesting. I was like, well, you know, it's one thing to have the athletes do it and then tell you about it. I was like, well, let me see if I can actually do this, which I knew I couldn't, but I thought I could. Um, so. So, uh, so we gave it a whirl and we gave it a shot. And, uh, I mean, it was a heck of a time. I don't know if I'd do it again. Um, but, uh, I was, I was happy that we did it. And, uh, you know, anything that's different, wacky, just different ways we can tell stories of our student athletes. And, you know, that one was more centered on me, but it was a demonstration of what they go through. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm all for, so, uh, things that kind of are different and just open some different doors video wise, I, I think are fun. And, and that was certainly one of those. What are some other unique videos you produced? Some ideas that you've gone forward with? Oh Lord, you're putting me on the block there. Um, I don't know. Um, I mean, the most recent one that I just referenced was the the April Fool's one, which was an absolute blast. Um, we put it out on Sunday. Uh, our point guard on our basketball team, his name is Taylor Persons. Uh, it's pretty famous just from hitting a bunch of game winners. He made Scott Van Pelt a few times this year. He hit the game winner uh, right before the buzzer to beat Notre Dame in December. Um, so we made a video where he decided he was quitting basketball and joining the football team. And like the basketball coach was in on it. The football coach was in on it. The president of the university was in on it. And, uh, and it, it went viral. It got like 35,000 hits and people thought it was real. Uh, so, so that was kind of fun. Um, so, you know, we just like to have a good time where, where and when we can. So what led you to starting a podcast on sports casting? There's kind of three of them that I think that are, mm. are kind of the, I don't know, for lack of a better word, this is going to sound egotistical, but like the main ones at this point, uh, what was your story? And, uh, we'll just start there. What was the story of why you started it? Um, the easiest answer is boredom. Um, so I like the, the one bad thing about college athletics and some people would say it's good. Like people like time off. I don't like time off. I don't know what to do with myself. Um, like I literally don't, I haven't the foggiest idea. So, uh, for me, I like the summer months are terrible 
like I, I enjoy traveling. So I, I do that a bunch, but otherwise, like, I, I don't, I don't know what I'm like. I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like, what do you want me to do? Um, so, you know, our marketing uh, guy's named Sean Sullivan. He he's, does a tremendous job at Ball State. Suggested he's like, hey, why don't you start a podcast? So I was like, well, that sounds reasonable. Um, so I uh, decided I was going to start a podcast, and I didn't know about what. And Sean said, well, why don't you do it about what you know? Why don't you do it about sportscasting? And at the time, the podcast about sports radio was still going on by Zach McCrite. And I always wanted, like, I was like, gosh, like, I wish there were more of these about like with play-by-play guys, I feel like that'd be sweet. Like some sort of like professional development podcast about play-by-play where I could just talk to people about like how they call games and why they call games this way and what their prep is like and like how they, like how they handle themselves on air um, and like what they look for when they watch their tapes back and um, you know, what they struggle with and what they excel at and what feedback they get and how they search for feedback and, um, I was like, that'd be, I feel like that'd be cool. So that was one. Uh, number two, I'm a terrible networker. Like I hate, I even hit the word, but like, I just, I, I'm not good at it. Um, I don't like reaching out to people. I don't like emailing people, which is ironic based on everything that's happened in this conversation already. I know. Um, but like, I don't like emailing people, like asking for things. I hate emailing people and saying like, Hey, can you listen to this? Or, Hey, do you have some time? Can I pick your brain about this? Or, like I, I always feel like I'm a burden on somebody that way, if I am or not. Um, so I felt like having a podcast, it became infinitely easier to email people and say, hey, do you want to come on my podcast? Um, because then it's a tangible thing. Like I'm asking them for an interview about this. Or if it's in person, I'm asking them to grab a cup of coffee and I can talk to them there. Um, so I felt like it knocked down some walls that way just personally for me uh, where I could reach out to people. And then obviously I had to come out with one a week. So it would force me to reach out to people. Um, so I think kind of the twofold answer there, um, is how, is how play by play cast was born. What's been the highlights of play by play cast? Who are some of your favorite guests? Um, Dan Schulman was a lot of fun. Uh, Boog Shambi was a lot of fun. Um, Probably, I don't want to say the two biggest names because I don't want to like insult anybody that I'm leaving off. Um, but like two big national names that I, I watch a lot and I respect a lot. Uh, so picking their brains was was really cool uh, and really enjoyable. Um, I tell you, the ones I get to do in person are, are fun. I'll say this much: like Sean Aronson, I know on the Voice Behind the Voice does all of his interviews in person. Like I don't know how he does it um, <laughs> because I reach out to a lot of people like when they come through Indy or when I go on the road. And like, it's impossible. Like, like I can't find the time or they like, it, there's time crunches. Like, I, I don't know how he swings it so much. Um, but it, I, when you do get them in person, I feel like it's a lot of fun too. Um, you know, Johnny holiday from Maryland, um, was an early episode of the podcast and I got a chance to sit down with him and we did the interview and then like had dinner together. Like it was great. Um, like he was awesome. Um, so like when you get a chance to actually meet and interact, Kevin Calabro was great. Um, and he's a great, uh, you know, great example, um, did the podcast and then I was in Portland for work this past basketball season and reached out to him like, Hey, can I come like shadow you for a day with an NBA game? And, and he was awesome about it. Um, so, you know, those are, I think some of the highlights that stand out without like no disrespect to anybody that I've left off that list. 
I agree. I don't know how he does that, getting everyone in person. And I mean, <laughs> if I waited for everybody to show up in person to South Dakota, um, I would be. Uh, I wouldn't have very you, you many episodes. Have a <laughs> no. So <laughs> it, it, you're right, though. I do the. I've probably had three or four where we've been face to face, and it's there's a different energy that you can't reproduce uh, doing it that way. I'm I'm impressed that you guys get it done once a week because. I know my podcast is slightly older than both of yours, but you both have way more episodes because I just, uh, I'm, I'm, every other week is good enough for me. It takes some time. It takes some effort. Uh, I try to do like, I try to do them in bunches. That helps. I do like three or four a week and then I don't have to worry about it for a few days. That helps. So I want to go back into, we talked about you running the 110s and obviously that was a fun video, but you know, obviously, being able to do eight of those means that you're you're staying in reasonable shape. And I know that for a lot of people in the radio business, with the travel and the uh, the bus pizza and the just some of there's a lot of difficulties in the job that make it hard to you know work out regularly and uh, eat right. How do you balance that? I eat it all, man. I have no idea. Um... Yeah, so I, I'm a workout like a holic. It doesn't mean I'm in shape. It just means I like to work out, um, and I feel like gross when I don't. Uh, so, um, but uh, yeah, I don't. I mean, you know, I I just eat healthy when I'm home. Like, I mean, I'm now I'm going on a, on the road right now for four days. But like, if I open the fridge, I've got a piece of chicken that's gonna go bad, so I gotta freeze that. But I've got a salad. A thing of oranges, two things of hummus, carrots, cottage cheese, some berries, um, a bottle of wine, and an avocado. And then in my freezer, I've got Ezekiel bread, some chocolate pudding that I made with avocados, some frozen chicken. Like, that's all I eat. So, like, I'm just a, like, I'm a pretty healthy eater on my own. Like, I eat a lot of nuts. So I feel like that helps. And then if I'm on the road, like, I eat what I have to eat. Um, I try to be health conscious, but you know, you eat what you eat. So that's that. And then I, you know, I try to work out every day when you're on the road with teams in particular, it's really easy because you have nothing else to do. Um, or if you're on the road doing network games, you, you squeeze it in, in the morning. Um, and then, you know, if I'm at home, I, you know, I do CrossFit every day. Um, or if I don't do that, uh, I do, I do Pilates. Um, so I just try to mix it up and do some different things and, yeah, uh, you know, I, I probably wish I was in better shape than I than I am, but that's kind of my my regimen and, and my routine. Plus, I don't do anything else. So, like for me, I just I work, I go to work, I work out, I eat food, and then like I watch other games back or do prep. Like I don't I don't really have other hobbies, which is weird. Um, like I'll read a book from time to time, but like other than that, like if I'm going to do something else, I go for a hike, which I would consider working out. So. You know, it just kind of makes it easy. Like, I don't play video games. I don't, I'm not in a club of any kind. I've made my life sound very boring, but that's kind of my routine. So what are your broadcast horror stories? If you've listened to this podcast, which I know you've listened to at least a couple of them, you know that I ask just about everybody that uh, the times in your career where something went horribly wrong uh, with broadcast conditions or equipment or location whatever it might be uh, that you can laugh at now that drove you crazy at the time. I mean, I've had a bunch of equipment malfunctions. 
Um, I had one like a couple of weeks, a couple, like the end of the basketball season, like a month ago, I had one. Um, I was at Central Michigan and the internet kept dropping out and I had to run a phone line all the way under press row while the game was going on because I didn't like, I, I, I'm my own engineer. So I was doing that. My color guy was calling the game on his cell phone. Um, so I did that in the middle of the game that got fixed, but that was a disaster. Um, I'm trying to think really bad horror stories equipment wise. Oh, so this is a good one. I was losing my mind. Northern Illinois football, like two years ago, we're on the road and we have for football, a headphone amp. So obviously it pulls the, you know, the headphones, it pulls the out, out of our mixer and into the headphone amp, which then, you know, distributes to my earphones, to my color guys, earphones, to our sideline guys, you know, headset, um, sends it back to the studio that way. Uh, and to the recorder, like it's, it's how we hear everything. Uh, the headphone amp died, like would not turn on. Um, and there is no backup for that. Like, I don't have another one with me. Um, so like I'm trying all sorts of different things and I'm trying different power cords and trying to make it work and I couldn't figure it out. So I'm sitting there and like cursing up a storm because at this point I'm like, what the hell am I going to do? Um, and again, keep in mind, I'm the engineer, uh, and the pregame show starts at this point in like 10 minutes and I haven't figured it out. So at that point I just jerry rigged. Like I was like, well, if I can pull this from here, I'm like, all right, how many ounces are on the mixer and how can I, I felt like Apollo 13. I was like, how can I turn an XLR out into a headphone jack in using only this? Um, <laughs> so it was like my Apollo 13 moment. And I eventually figured it out to the point where like I was listening through the recorder. My color guy couldn't hear. Uh, he just was standing next to me. So he had to listen carefully. Um, I forget how I got it back to the station and I was able to get it down to my sideline guy. Um, but it was like some massive jerry rigging. Uh, so that was not enjoyable at all. Is probably my most disastrous broadcast nightmare as far as that goes. Um, there was one time when I was in college uh, the Syracuse soldiers were a uh, professional indoor football league team, the AIFL. I don't even think the league exists anymore. The team certainly doesn't. Um, they lasted less than a season. Um, I did a game where it was raining outside and inside. So like the press <laughs> box was leaking while I was calling the game uh, in Huntsville, Huntsville. Where was I? I was in uh, wherever Marshall is in West Virginia, Huntsville, West Virginia. Um, so like I'm literally plugging holes in the ceiling of this little radio booth with napkins while watching semi-professional football players play on a field that like, I'm pretty sure used to be the Orlando predators turf because you could see the logo wiped out uh, down on the field. Like it was, it was very, very podunk, but, uh, hilarious at the same time. Uh, the bus was really nice though. So that was a positive. I do some arena football and it's just a different animal all around it drives me nuts but uh <laughs> do you, any other arena football stories uh i only did two games and then the team folded so i don't okay. uh, that's all i got so did <laughs> the thing that drives me nuts about arena football is that the by the time i do any prep and I get there, and I talk to the coach, and they're like, oh, yeah, all these people are gone. Here's nine new names. <laughs> and I'm like, why do I even bother? But uh, whatever. There's my personal That's rant of the day. Boy. He's now on the team. <laughs> it's not that far off. <laughs> but, well, um, true, Liam. 
what do you do to continue to get better? Obviously, you're a, I think you're about, how old are you? You'll be right, 31. 31. And, um, <laughs> you know, both of us, I think, have higher aspirations. I think that's safe to say. And uh, I guess, what do you do to continue to improve? I watch everything back. Um, and again, I told you, you know, I don't have a life um, for the most part. That's an exaggeration. But like, I spend my time watching games back. Like, I watch everything. Um, and I try to watch it. Um, you know, I'll try to keep as up as best I can, like before the next game. Um, if that doesn't happen, you know, I'll, I, I just, I try to get to things as quickly as I can. Um, and I just, I watch them all and I watch every second of every game and, you know, it's just, I, I, I pay attention to everything. Um, what bothers me, what, what I think was good, um, where I thought this went well. Um, if I'm on the road and I'm doing a radio game, I will listen to it on the way home. Um, and I mean, I'm, I'm my own harshest critic and I find everything that I hate and don't like or love. Um, so that's number one. Uh, and then number two, uh, I mean, I, I, I send stuff out to people that I trust. Um, and you know, people whose opinions that I, that I trust and just get their thoughts and, um, know that they'll be honest with me. Uh, you know, there's nothing I hate more than this was great. Um, cause obviously if it was great, I would, you know, be doing the, you know, the final four on Monday and I'd be at the masters instead of Jim Nance this week. And that's not the case. So uh, obviously it wasn't great. Um, you know, there's obviously stuff in there that, that, that can be improved upon. So, you know, I want somebody to, to watch something and tell me what, what sucks, you know, you know, I want you to tell me what was good because I don't want you to crush my spirits, but like, you know, it doesn't, you know, I, I don't think it helps any of us to be like, you know, you're fantastic. You know, I want somebody to, there's obviously a reason that everybody is at where they are at. Um, and you know, my, the biggest question I always ask people and ask it on the podcast a lot is, you know, what is the difference to you between good and great? Um, and how you go from being a good broadcaster to a great broadcaster. Um, and that's kind of the, the, end, the endless, and I think in a lot of ways, unanswerable question um, that we should all, you know, be in pursuit of an answer for. And, uh, you know, every day, every day I keep trying to find that answer and, and hopefully it leads me into a better place. So how do you find the people that you trust to listen to your work? Are they people you went to college with? Are they people you've met along the way? Uh, what's your process for finding critiquers? Uh, it's some people I went to college with. It's some people I found along the way. Um, you know, it's just a conglomerate of people that you've met over the course of your career that you develop a relationship with. Um, and for whatever reason, you, you, you know, they give you good feedback and, uh, and you know, you take it to heart. And I mean, there's no, I don't really know if, if there's another answer to it than that. It's just, you know, people who give you good answers and, and who, who, whose answers you, you want to hear. Um, and I don't mean that in the way that like they tell you what you want to hear, uh, in a good way. Like they tell you what you want to hear in a critical way. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's as simple as that. Who are some of your favorite broadcasters personally to listen to, uh, both on a national level and maybe some up-and-comers that other people haven't heard of that they should check out? Oh, Lord. Um, Adam Mean is fantastic. Um, I think his his call of the, the um, Ogunbowale buckets were fantastic. Um, I thought they were very McDonough, McDonough-ian, uh, Sean, Sean McDonough-ian. 
in the in the way he, he hit the goods. Um, you know, at the very the good, um, which just kind of reminded me of McDonough, which is never a bad comparison. Um, he's phenomenal. Uh, Ian Eagle, I think. My personal opinion, there's nobody in this industry right now who's better than Ian Eagle. I think he is what we should all strive to be. Um, hands down, bar none. Um, so, I mean, he's a guy that if he's on, I I will watch and tell everybody in the room to shut the heck up because to me, the game doesn't matter what he says does in that instance. Um, you know, I think Carter Blackburn does a great job. I think Andrew Catalan does a great job. I'm listing all the guys right now who are doing the NCAA tournaments. Let me see if I can broaden my horizons. Um, Lord, I'm on the spot. Uh, I mean, obviously, Benetti does a phenomenal job um, with the White Sox, and, you know, I've known him going back for, for years. Um, from a baseball standpoint, um, I love Howie Rose. Maybe that's because, you know, I, I grew up listening to the fan. Um, I love Gary Cohen. He's fantastic. Um, Dave Wills and Andy Freed, I think, are one of the best teams together uh, in baseball. Um I could keep going, but I'd have to really think, and I feel like I'm on the spot, and I don't know, but I feel like that's probably a good working list. If somebody wanted to reach out to you, how would they do so? Um, you can find me on Twitter uh, anytime. I'm, I'm at Joel Godet, J-O-E-L-G-O-D-E-T-T. Um, you can email me. Um, it's J-G-O-D-E-T-T at B-S-U dot E-D-U. So that's at Ball State University at B-S-U dot E-D-U. Um, you know, I, I put those out on, on our pod all the time and, you know, love when people reach out. So, uh, you know, feel free, go ahead and, uh, you know, happy to have my brain picked or whatnot. I don't know what good it would do for you. Cause I don't know. Like, people always reach out to me. And I'm like, what are you reaching out to me for? But, uh, you know, if, if you want to, uh, have, have at it. I, I've had that same experience. I'm like, you know, that you're like actually doing higher level broadcasting than I am right now. <laughs> but it, it is strange. Even if you're not, I just feel like there's other people that like, I'm like, mm-hmm. reach out to them. Like they they will give you far superior information to anything I can supply you. But but yeah, I'm happy to try. Give a little uh, plug to your podcast. Who do you have coming up, and uh, what do you have? Uh, anything new and exciting going on with Play by Playcast? Um, well, this is, this is <laughs> judging on when this is coming out as an interview on, on your pod. I don't know where we're going to be. We should be coming up on a hundredth episode. Um, currently we'll have Kate Scott coming out this week. So she will be one of the more recent episodes you can hear. Uh, Ken Daniels is coming up. Uh, so his episode will be out by the time you hear this, uh, from the Detroit Red Wings and, uh, beyond that, I'm not sure right now. So, um, you can check it out. Play by play cast. Make sure you have the dashes in between play by play cast. Um, I didn't really think that one through when I named it, but, uh, but yeah, uh, you can find it on iTunes and whatnot and, uh, give it a listen. Once again, we are chatting with Joel Godet. He is the voice of the, what is ball state? Are they the Cardinals? They are the fiercest of the Robin sized birds. As okay. I, I, I thought I knew that I wasn't sure. So the voice of the ball state Cardinals and the operator of play by play cast, Joel, thanks for coming on today. Yeah, for sure, man. My, my, uh, my pleasure. Appreciate it. This has been the Say the Damn Score podcast. Please subscribe to the show and any or all of its social media platforms by clicking on the big red button on the top of saythedamnscore.com. I also appreciate iTunes reviews or any kind of honest feedback that can help me make the show even better. Thanks for listening to the show. I'm Logan Anderson, and the next time you're on the air, make sure to say the damn score a little bit more.